Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel Podcast. As a vibrant part of life at Trinity Western University, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Well, hi again. Uh, Still really good to be with you. Um, We're looking at the book of Esther, chapter 3, and there's just one more section really to read. And then a couple thoughts I have on uh, really violence and annihilation and people, resentment, and all kinds of different things like that. So there's all of these things, all the great action films of today, uh, all the things represented there are represented here with all the evil characters and all the complexity of the situation and all the plot twists. So here we are on the 13th day of the first month. So this is the, the day that was chosen by Lot. Uh, to annihilate um, the Jews. Uh, they chose the day and now they're going to announce it. So they wrote out in the uh, the secretaries, the royal secretary, so this is coming from the palace, they wrote out in script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the kings, satraps, the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various people. So this is becoming an official decree. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Remember, uh, the king gave Haman his ring. Dispatches. Now, keep that in mind because the ring features later uh, when Esther uh, comes back into the story. But anyway, I'll leave that for whoever's doing that part of the story. (laughs) Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Young and old, women and little children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. This escalated quickly. This went from one man refusing to bow to that Amalekite descendant Uh, realizing this was an opportunity not only to stick it to Mordecai, but to all the Jews. And now this is happening. It's really happening. The king has given him the authority, and now this is becoming the law to annihilate, to kill. And these are the words being used, to kill and to destroy. Does that sound familiar? You remember in John 10, 10, Jesus sort of manifesto that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's If you're wondering what it looks like when the enemy is at work, Anywhere there is stealing, killing, and destroying, where there's destruction, where there's killing, where there's a a devaluing of human life, wherever that's happening in the world, you can be sure the enemy is behind this. And this isn't just like Haman the enemy, just like one evil man. This is a sinister principality, a thought. This is principalities and power. You know, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers which are demonic forces for sure, but also even thoughts and systems that come against the Lordship of Jesus. So you think about these things like uh, anti-Semitism is a racist thought. It's a racist system that is backed by demonic powers, right? Uh, Principalities and powers that fuel this demonic uh, system of anti-Semitism or racism or misogyny, all of these people, anything that would diminish other human beings that would steal and kill and destroy is a demonic manifesto. It's a, a demonic agenda. 
And so to stand up against that demonic agenda, first of all, to identify that this is something more than just a human problem. There's something supernatural about this. There's something uh, unnatural in so many ways, something demonic that's at work behind these powers that gives them the energy that escalates their capacity. You know, I think that's really, really important to keep in mind, especially in today's world where there's a lot of this being exposed and going on. I mean, sometimes I just wonder like what on earth, like when you think about women and misogyny, for example, I think about the demonic oppression of women around the globe. Uh, when you're even just thinking right now in the news and you look at like all the pictures in Afghanistan where the woman disappeared, you know, they're not going to school. Girls no longer go to school. Just like in a week, it's over. Everyone's back to school except girls can't go to school. Like, and you just think like, what is going on? It's not just a devout, like every single person has a mother, has a sister. It doesn't really make any natural sense because we're not actually fighting a natural problem. We're fighting a principality, a power, a thought system. Um, I remember reading the life uh, story of Malala. Uh, it's a great little book, I Am Malala. And if you don't know Malala, she's a great uh, UN uh, spokesman for women's girls' education particularly. And she stood up for girls' education when she was 14 years old and was shot in the head by the Taliban because she was told to be quiet and she refused. Uh, and then she miraculously survived. She was air back to England and, they and she survived. And now she's become a global ambassador for girls. And, um, and I was always wondering, like, she's a, she's a Muslim. And I always remember thinking to myself, like, how did, how did Malala happen? Like, you know, how did she happen in this context of uh, the place where she lived, you know, girls being so undervalued in that culture? And she said, she talks about how it all began with her dad. And she said when her dad uh, found out that her mom was pregnant with a girl, he started putting money aside, even though they were pretty poor because the tradition in their culture was that when a baby boy was born, when the boy was born, all the family would come with money and they would throw the money in the crib and they would say, you know, blessed be God, you know, you had a baby boy, you know, may Allah be praised or whatever. And she said, but when a baby girl was born, everyone would still come, but they would all just kind of sit around like it was a funeral and nobody brought any money because in, inherent in the cultural thought was that girls were not a blessing from God. And again, you see this principality, you see this power, this thinking behind, you know, like destroying, killing, stealing, what should be joy, what should be celebration, what should be capacity uh, for humans to flourish, no matter what gender they are. And you see the work of the enemy. But she said, my dad started putting money aside. And when his relatives arrived from Malala's birth, she said, even like, even on the announcement of her birth, she said her dad went around and gave money to all of her relatives and said, put this money in the crib because Malala is a blessing from God. And that concept to see people through the lens of blessing, to see people through the lens of worthy, to see people through the lens of sacred, you know, you can kind of, you can taste the power of it. I mean, look, you can see the power of it in just one girl's life who would stand up to an evil and an empire like, uh, like the Taliban, you know, at 14 years of age, whoa. But we see this also in the life of Jesus so many times. Jesus can see people in ways that the rest of society and the rest of the world and the rest of religious people can't see. He sees through the disguise. He sees through the principality and the power. He sees behind what's really uh, presenting itself. Or what Mother Teresa, uh, when she would work with the poor, uh, she would call it the distressing disguise of poverty. 
right? Because this is not who people are. It's just how they're seen. And then it's how they're viewed. And then it's how they're treated. And this is, you know, at work all the time. Just this week, actually, my uh, the principal of my son's school, so they go to a public school here in Toronto, just wrote us a letter, all the parents a letter, to say that there was anti-Semitism graffiti on the side of the school. And my son's, you know, his best friend is a Jewish uh, kid from Israel who just moved here. And uh, it struck him really, like, they don't like my friend just because he's Jewish. You know, like, it really struck him. We had this wonderful conversation about principalities and powers and racism and how it presents itself in the world and how we can fight, fight it. You know, how we can fight it. And um, this work, you know, the good news of the gospel, just for the record, Paul tells us later on in Corinthians that it is actually to be ministers of reconciliation. That the work of Jesus is the opposite of stealing, the opposite of killing, and the opposite of destroying. That our work is not to pit each other against each other or to devalue humans no matter what background they come from, but to actually see through sacred lenses the beautiful divine purposes at work, the life. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Uh, life to the full, by the way, is a shalom idea. The shalom is the wholeness, this, this, the way that God created things to be in the beginning before all the selfishness entered in and then the competition and then the animosity. And then, you know, first it was women against men and then it's a brother against brother and then it's tribe against tribe and this nation against nation. And that's kind of the way of destruction, right? That's the way that enemy would love it. And then you have Jesus enter in and offer us, as C.S. Lewis says, you know, time began to work itself backwards. In other words, we're headed now towards Shalom, the original intention of God's desire, which is to bring things into wholeness again, together again, to end the animosity, to stop the enmity, literally all through the New Testament, and to bring people into Shalom. Now, in the Very Good Gospel, it's a book by uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, she does a deep dive on this word Shalom in Genesis, and I think this is a really fascinating thing where she says that actually shalom is this like uh, well-being, this wholeness, this fullness. But she said it's not like every single thing within the created order is made perfectly. It's that the created order together is made perfect. So the way it connects to one another is perfected. I, I just want you to think about that for a second because that's mind-blowing. It's not just that every single, and I think for so many um uh, even in my own life, I worry about me being okay and not about me re relating to other people being okay. If, does that make sense? So that because we're all in our own camp, so we want to like work on us or even a very highly individualized spirituality, which is just about me. Where even Jesus says, you know, if you want to know the greatest commandments, it is to love God with all your heart and all your soul. and all. Your... But the, the second one I'm going to give you is the same or like unto it, which is the same. It's going to manifest itself. It's going to look like you loving your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, it's going to look like shalom, interconnectedness, rightness in relationship. You're going to be a minister of reconciliation. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because the, the enemy... You know, the bad guy, the hiss and the boo Haman, in true demonic style, in true enemy, violent enemy of the Jews, is trying to steal and kill and destroy. And that is what the enemy has been doing from the beginning. Stealing joy, stealing relationships, stealing connection, using blame and shame and us and them theology uh, from the very start. Um, 
you know, two big questions in Genesis. Where are you? God saying to Adam. And where's your brother? God saying to Cain, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? That's the line that we use all the time. And I always like, why don't we answer the line? The answer God gives to that line is your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Who have we made our enemies? I alluded to this in another chapel, but I, I think there is a, a narrative that Mordecai and Haman are in that they've been born into. They've probably rehearsed this narrative over and over and over again. The Amalekites are the violent enemy of the Jews. And the Amalekites probably rehearsed over and over again. The Jews are the violent enemy of the Amalekites. We don't get to read the story from Haman's perspective, but I bet you anything. There is a narrative that they've been born into that has rehearsed the way we've wounded each other, that has pitted us against each other, that has made us enemies, that we vow to be enemies forever and ever. And we perpetuate this until it ends in violence and more violence than we could ever even imagine. And somehow, even though this is a terrible thing that's happening, we've justified it already because of the resentments that we've nursed in our hearts, the stories that we've told ourselves over and over and over again. And I, I know the story is going to work out and that Haman's not going to succeed. And in so many ways, we can spiritualize that to say the enemy's not going to succeed. He's going to be exposed. His ways are going to be exposed and Jesus is going to save the day. Absolutely. There's not a question that that's the grand narrative of the story. But in the middle of this chapter, I've been really challenged. What are the, the narratives I've been rehearsing? Uh, recently, I heard a, a sermon at a church that I almost interrupted. It said... The world hates us and we hate the world. The world hates us and we hate the world. And I was thinking to myself, it's true in a way. It's true in a way. The world hates us. Jesus said, the world's not going to like you. They never liked me. But what does he mean by the world? You know, the principalities, the powers, the dominant structures of worldliness that steal, kill, and destroy those spirits at work are going to hate us. Absolutely. The devil and me, we don't agree. Glory. Hallelujah. I hate him and he hates me. Glory. Hallelujah. That's a little chorus from an old fashioned Salvation Army. I mean, it's intense, but it's true. But the world as in the people who live in the world, the created order that was created in sacredness and goodness, they're not my enemy. As a matter of fact, I'm instructed by Jesus to lay down my life for them like he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And not just, you know, that world there in John 3, 16, famous, famous passage of scripture, that's not even just world, that's created order. The entire created order was made by love, God is love for love to be loved by God. And that the enemy against that, the enemy against that is resentment and division and enmity. And that if we nurse that idea, if we rehearse the narrative about the enemy being against us in the world, the world hates us and we hate the world. And we rehearse this narrative all the time. We're going to be super confused. And we're going to end up justifying, stealing, and killing, and destroying things, which is the enemy's work. And I don't want to be about the enemy's work. The work that I'm called to, and the work that we're called to as Christians, the work that you're called to as a Christian, is actually to be hidden in this world as salt and light, bringing redemption, 
bringing life in all of its fullness, celebrating, seeing through the disguising distresses of the poor. There's a reporter who went with Mother Teresa on a run and uh, spent the day with her, just a, life in the, a day in the life of Mother Teresa. And at the end of the day, she asked him, you know, how was it? And he said, I, it was terrible. Like, I don't know how you work in this day after day after day where you're just like, you just see like all this death and destruction and dying and poverty. Like, he's just like, I, I, I don't know how you do this. And she looked at him and said, is that what you saw? Weird. All I saw all day was Jesus. All I saw all day was sacred people. All I saw all day were hidden gems of life fullness. What do you see when you look at the world? Years ago, I was in um, Salzburg, Austria, and I was at a Catholic youth event, speaking of judgments and resentments and, you know, this Protestant Catholic thing that we've nursed for years. I don't even know what it's about. I just know it's us and them for some reason. I don't even know where I got that, but I'm at this Catholic youth event. There's 9,000 Catholic kids in this massive cathedral. And the priest had said to me, just tell them about Jesus. You know, just tell them about Jesus. Evangelical priests so I just told them about Jesus. I, t- I, I just said, like, this is, this is who Jesus is. Who wants to follow Jesus? And they all, like, literally 9,000 kids are like, I want to, you know, like me. And they're all just like, shout. And I'm like, sit back down again. That's not what I meant. And then I just like did like my Bonhoeffer, you know, come to Jesus and die. Like, you got to give your lunch money away to the poor. Like, what I mean is like, this is going to be cost you. you know, like, I did this harder pitch because I thought maybe I was soft selling the gospel or something like that. And then they all stood up again and said like, me, me, you know, like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. They're chanting, yes, Lord. I'm going like, what's going on? And finally, I just said, like, okay, the first time, the first time you've ever heard that this is a personal relationship with Jesus, I want you to stand up. You know, if this is brand new to you and a thousand kids stand up and they come into this sacred place up where, you know, all the communion stuff happens with the priests and everyone's praying for them. It's phenomenal. I have never witnessed so much hope and grace and truth. It was so powerful, this massive cathedral, but the spirit filling these kids with just this desire to follow Jesus. And anyway, this meeting spills out uh, into this like, they climb up this big castle. It's kind of hard to explain, but it basically it's this like castle front and it overlooks Europe. And it's just, this pr- they're just having this prayer meeting. And there's like thousands of kids with Jesus signs and they're marching up this castle and they begin praying over the world. That's what happens. They have this wireless mic and they're just passing it to teenagers and they're just taking their turns praying for Europe and praying for the world. And I'll never forget this one. I mean, he must have been 16, 17 year old kid. He gets the mic and he just begins to pray for ISIS. And he says, oh God, right now I'm praying for ISIS. I'm praying for every soul to be made of Paul in Jesus' name. And I remember standing there going, what? What? I suddenly, this 17-year-old kid reintroduced me to the kingdom of God assignment in my life. I, up until then, I had still been praying for the least amount of casualties possible, for the bombs to fall on the bad guys, not the good guys, you know, for some sort of human, violent, And I forgot. I don't, I, I don't care what justifies this decision. My job as a person of Christ is to pray with that 17-year-old Catholic kid that every ISIS member would somehow encounter the love of God, that everyone would be saved, that everyone would hear the message of redemption. You know, I'm joining in this desire, you know, more Muslims have been saved in the last 10 years than in 1500 years prior. And I'm believing 
with that 17-year-old kid that every person would experience life and life to the full. Let me pray for you. God, I'm asking right now that you would expose the demonic conspiracy of stealing and killing and destroying that's at work in our lives and that's at work in this world. And that you would, by your spirit of power and life, make us bearers of life to this world, speaking your redemptive power and reconciliation in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope you are blessed and be encouraged in your faith life. Chapel happens every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. in the gymnasium or online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel. Until next time, much love.